Cinema Sex Ed contains strong language, sexual scenarios, and potentially offensive comments. It is intended for maturely immature audiences only. Can you explain the law of perpetuity to me? I think what you're trying to say is, can I explain the rule against perpetuity? Right? <laughs> okay. No. Rusty trombone. Hot Carl. Rim job. Toss my salad. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Nipple clam. Chocolate coxicle. Pink taco. Hop on this, baby. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Money shot. Anal intruder. Cleveland steamer. Gas mask. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Reverse cowgirl. <laughs> Yeehaw. Teabagging. Kama Sutra. Kama my face. Cinema Sex Ed. Uh, so let's start. Let's start. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back, class. Everybody in your seats. Everybody in your seats. Oh, right, 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 stop right, talking. Right, stop, right. stop chewing gum. <laughs> Billy, Billy, get your finger out of your anus. Oh, what? <laughs> Somebody pass Billy the Purell. <laughs> Welcome back class to another episode of cinema sex ed i'm miss jenny and i'm miss marcy and, and class, class is in, in. hi miss marcy hey miss jay so today you actually picked this movie even though it's one of my favorites marcy choice but jenny gave it two thumbs up when i said my choice yeah tell me about your history with this movie we are talking today about body heat Ooh. And when I saw that movie, I had a little, I, there, there, whoa. Yeah, it's definitely, a, I it feel is funny hot. down there. Oh my God. Down there, up there, tingle head to toe. That was a sexy, probably one of the sexiest movies I've ever seen. I probably didn't see Body Heat for the first time until I was in high school and was really getting into the history of film. Well, you have to remember, I was 25 years old, just finished my second year of law school. The first time I saw Body Heat, I was really too young to understand what was going on. It is definitely one of the sexiest movies I saw in my youth. Well, I'd be interested in knowing what some younger people today right. seeing it might think, because how desensitized have people become? But at the time, I mean, it was... It was really sexual for a rated R mainstream kind of movie. Right. And I I don't know whether I saw it for the first time on cable, but I, I was 11 when it came out. And What year did it come out again? It came out in 81, 1981. Wow. And then I remember my father had it on VHS, and I watched it over and over and over again, probably when I was 12 or 13. So It was the third high, 33rd highest grossing film in the U.S. in 1981, which, you know, for that kind of film, that's, yeah. I guess people liked sex that year. <laughs> A lot of people went to see the sex. I, uh, I think people like sex every year, but <laughs> <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> yeah, I do definitely have a point there. But you're absolutely right. It did incredibly well. It was Lawrence Kasdan's first film, writing and directing it. I mean, he'd written for George Lucas before he wrote uh, Empire Strikes Back and uh, Raiders. And then George Lucas was a silent executive producer on this. I guess he guaranteed that it would come in on budget and on time to Alan Ladd's company because at the time, Lawrence Kasdan was... 
an unknown entity, really. Coming from the world of ad executive. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Now you think he just wrote Star Wars, the J.J. Abrams Star Wars, and and that this was the very beginning, really, of his career. Yeah, back in back in the day. Um, it was really funny too because he fought up with the Big Chill, and they both were about temperature. Yes, body heat and the Big Chill. One was hot, one was cold. One was hot, cold, hot, cold, and both were about sort of sexual situations that got, went very wrong. And William Hurt was in both of them. Yeah, and he in was one, in a lot of... Yeah, know. in this he's like totally hypersexual and in Big Chill he's totally impotent. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was made for $9 million. It made like $24 million domestically, which is, if you're wondering out there at home, it's that's, that's huge. That's more than twice the uh the budget so yeah for all intents and purposes it's a home run when or Lawrence Kasdan was making this film the whole time he was concerned he'd never get to make another film because it was so edgy what he was doing he thought it would either make his career or ruin his career isn't that crazy but I, don't you think that most artists feel like that not just at the beginning of their career but throughout most of their career this could yeah be yeah definitely <laughs> i definitely do but i i i do think it was a really edgy first film especially oh, yeah. for that time because we were still sort of coming into a sexual awakening on screen and thankfully it hadn't really come up against the conservative backlash that was going to happen in the 80s with the Reagan administration um, and AIDS and, and all of that. Because again, before. it's another movie that they don't talk about. It is a cautionary tale, though, man. It is a sexual cautionary tale. Like, you know? So uh, I was... I just said like, you know. Like, like you know. <laughs> uh, but it was a sexy movie. We rewatched it last night. So did Yoko and I. And I have to say, right afterwards, it was a fine how do you do. (laughs) How do you nod after that movie? Did he take you to the boathouse? Figuratively, yes, he did. Did you you ask him to listen to your chimes? (laughs) And you know what the funny thing is? It was really hot last night. And I was wearing this sort of really skimpy silky nightgown and i was just laying on the bed and i went it's so hot in here because it really was <laughs> i wasn't even trying to recreate but all of a sudden we went oh wait a minute <laughs> but you know what it worked <laughs> it did the trick Woo! yes and i remember when i saw body heat i loved it i thought it was uh very much uh an imitation or an emulation of all the film noirs that lawrence kasdan clearly had taken in as he was becoming a filmmaker, but it really stood on its own, I thought. It was a very well-made film. What I find sexy about Body Heat is the, I guess you'd say the ease of all the sexuality. The, you know, it's it's so hot, let's just lay around naked together. It fit in very well with kind of the darkest of the film noirs, the, the double indemnities, the postman always ringing twice, the, you know, femme fatale seducing a man so she can kill her husband. I was thinking when I was doing my notes 
to prepare, I was thinking one title for this would be Body Heat, Film Noir, and Toxic Love. When you're talking about it being like a cautionary Ooh, tale, it is. Toxic Love. This That's is, not yeah. even a real song. It yeah, but it does it sound like it. Yeah. Oh, Tainted Love. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So Hello. the movie started high. So, so this was the big screen debut for Kathleen Turner, really, in a lead. And probably the best thing she's ever done. Well, that's a bold statement. I I mean, I love her in a lot of things. And also, she's in my favorite all-time movie, which is not sexy, but she's sexy in it. And Which one? Oh, well. That would be the cinema classic, The Man with Two Brains. Oh, right. She, she did that after this. Oh, God, that movie makes me laugh. Mr. Ferhurt. Is that Edwin? Uh, Edwin for her, her, her and her. Remember? <laughs> Her name is <laughs> I think she's excellent in Peggy Sue Got Married too. She is, yeah. yeah. But just like this was oh I love this was one of those movies that normalized uh small breasts for me. Obviously when this movie came out I was still pretty much a prepubescent child who was just budding but you know i didn't get very far from budding and budding is when a young girl's breasts are coming in that is you know one of the terms that that, that are used um and i have very small breasts so i, I torpedoed <laughs> <laughs> i my buds blossomed into hindenburg's <laughs> I hate you. No, I, love I hate you. No, you. No, I hate you. I've always wanted those little perky buds. I always wanted breasts that would fill things out. More My breast could put somebody's eye out, and that <laughs> is problematic at times. Well, the grass is always greener. I, I, I do recognize now being I'm older. I'm buzzing, or I'm having a cerebral hemorrhage. No, I'm not, but I don't Feed have back. a. No, it's gone now. Okay. Or I've just had a stroke. God, please. I hope not. So, as I said, it was written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan and, oh, oh, and oh, Marcy. Okay. Uh, sorry. We'll get right back to you. I got to No. All right. She's okay. We got signs of life. Signs of life. It stars Kathleen Turner, as we said. First role, uh, William Hurt. This is early on in his career, if not his first role. And I know Lawrence Kasdan talked a little bit about wanting unknowns so that we're sort of discovering what's going on with them. Uh, she had a background in soap operas. She was on soap operas yep. beforehand. But they were both stage actors. You know, William Hurt has done, just had quite an amazing career. And I love him. A huge fan of his. What I forgot when I saw this movie is in the beginning, he was so pretty because he came, he became such a like sort of lumpy middle-aged man, you know, and I'm a lumpy middle-aged woman, so it's okay for me to say that. But, God, he was so beautiful in this movie. And his body was so beautiful. I need a moment. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm having a flashback to William Hurt. I have the vapors. Yeah, they they were both pretty. Pretty so, to look at, which did not They hurt. were just, there was nothing wrong on either one of the, them. They were just so, they were smooth and young. Yeah, young, nubile. Young. Ah, uh, such a great word, and it is. and really does describe both of them. Ted Danson was nubile in this movie too. Yeah, look at that head of hair on Ted Danson. Oh, he was so cute in this movie. And not long after and this, he went on to do Cheers. Yeah, 
He was, and he was Ted Danson in this movie. He was Ted Danson. Why was he always tap dancing? That was like a character choice, and I guess they choreographed <laughs> that all based on Fred Astaire numbers. I it I, was, uh, it was. I loved it. It was quirky as shit, but I loved it. And I'm glad that you bring up Ted Danson, who plays one of the best friends of William Hurt's character. So William Hurt's character is Ned Racine, and he's close or best friends with Ted Danson's character, whose last name is Lowenstein, and they all call him Lowenstein. Jew. <laughs> is Ted, Ted Danson... Danson played a Jew? Is I don't Ted think Danson... he is, no. Yeah, I was thinking... He's Hollywood Jew, like you, Jenny. <laughs> But there's so many there's so many Hollywood Jews who have names like Danson or Smith or Wilson right. who Scarlett Johansson who are she yeah, is a Jewess yeah people who have changed their names or shortened them so I'm never quite sure or people who have parentage right because they could be they could have a Jewish mom but um I will look that up right like now. Lenny I could be wrong. Lenny Kravitz has a Jewish father. He has, His well, mother yeah, is Roxy Roker. Yes, she was moving on up. Where we're moving on up, we're moving on up, moving on up to, to the east side. side. All right. So while you look up whether or not Ted Danson is a Jew. <laughs> Jew because... or not a Jew. <laughs> Jew or no Jew. Welcome to another episode of Jew or not a Jew. Because we know that's why you tune in. Marcy Smolin, this will shock you. Judaic. So, let me see. Who else is in this movie? J.A. Preston plays another one of Ned Racine's close friends. He's he's the detective. A stellar appearance, even though it's two scenes. He's very memorable. Mickey Rourke. Oh, my very God. Young. He was so beautiful was in this. so beautiful. The only thing I remember from the first time I saw it was that Mickey Rourke was in it. I don't know why that stood out to me. He was only in two scenes, but that was something I remembered about the movie. He plays a former client of William Hurt's character. Uh, so Mickey Rourke plays Teddy Lewis. And then another very recognizable soap opera actress. From Kim, Zimmer. Kim Zimmer. I can't, you, that's right. She was in your soap, wasn't she? Yeah, I watched Guiding Light for a very long time. Yes, she was so pretty in this. She was so pretty. And she looks the same. It's funny. I, I looked her up on IMDb and it, she looks this, I mean, the facial features. I love sure, that when somebody features widened a little bit. Well, we all we all do. We all fill out, you know. But Jenny, but there is a website same. called Jew or Not a Jew. I believe it. Ted Jans Danson, not a Jew. <laughs> no, but it did lead you to bald or not bald.com. <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe he'll be on that one, too. One thing that uh, I was saying to Yoko the other night that I'm a little bit bummed about is that we hadn't chosen this movie the before we'd gone to the ACE Awards a couple of weeks ago because the editor of Body Heat, Carol Littleton, who has edited tons of Lawrence Kasdan's movies, including The Big Chill, was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award and gave a speech and was introduced by Lawrence Kasdan and he was at all the receptions and everything. And had I known, maybe I would have sought him out and gotten a comment from him. Um, we are going to go back to that in a minute, but who else was honored at that awards show? Oh, Yoko. Yoko! Please do Ooh. tell everybody about Mr. Tom Wilson, a.k.a. Yoko. So Tom won the ACE, the America's 
uh, the, the American Cinema Editors Award for Best Hour Long Editing for Yay! the Mad Men finale. Yoko, we're it, so proud of him. So proud of him, so happy for him, and it was unexpected. Uh, very much deserved, not just for, Very much deserved. Yeah, not just for that award. episode, just for uh, all of it. The yeah. episode, but everything else. And, and he was in a category with phenomenal people and editors so and who well, were so gracious talented. and yeah and they but they were so nice and sweet and uh, i'm always amazed at the camaraderie between them um the editors and there's just there's i mean there's always some ego in the arts but there's they've just been there's so ego kind in of every him. job yeah, there's ego true. with the water cooler you're right you're right you're absolutely right so it was lovely. And, you know, Yoko really has never won anything before. This was, like, his first time, like, winning something. he's such a nice person. I know. I'm, he's such a nice guy. Jenny has a really good husband. Yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, you did. I'm a fan of Yoko's. But Carol Littleton, uh, part of the reason why Lawrence Kazan chose her to edit this was because of the sexual content and the storylines. He really wanted a woman's point of view and... The final rewrite is always in the editing room. The advantage to having a woman such as Carol Littleton editing this film lies in the sensibility that she brings to the aspects of the relationship and also uh, to the sex scenes. She gets the uh, point of view of a woman across better than a man would, and that can be important in a movie like Body Heat where the seduction is such an important part of the story. Yeah, I can see where it would be an advantage for a male who wrote and directed it to have a female in the room with him. Very cool little tie-in. Um, again, though, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to try to corner him. I don't know what I would have asked, but I I would have asked him something. Considering I was working post. at a summer camp during this time. When and you first his, saw it? And his sons were, uh, went to the camp, Jakey and Johnny. Wow. Uh, both of whom have done very well for themselves in Hollywood. I'm very well, proud of them. Like Sorry. Jake Kasdan <laughs> and mind John Kasdan are both writer-directors in their own rights now. And they were cute, very cute little boys. <laughs> I, I've i never seen... I, I've, I've seen Jake Kasdan. Who's the other one? John? Kasdan? John. I don't think I've ever seen John. But Jake I've seen. And Jake was... Jake was cute, if I remember well, and I've read plenty of his scripts. And I cannot comment good. on that because I was their camp counselor. Okay, yes, so I, yeah, that they would be were a adorable little, little boys, and... a little pervy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't pervy. want to be pervy Germans. <laughs> pervy Germans. <laughs> pervy Smolens. <laughs> don't want to be. I, mean, I know you're you not. Know, there know. may be. Four or five years younger than me, but <laughs> but that's how you're always you know think at of them. time you know I was I was in the I like maybe a senior in high school but when you you're know? seventeen and they're twelve yeah or eleven exactly it's, it's a now bigger difference we're, you know essentially the same age but, right uh, yeah yeah when you look back and I think about like kids I babysat and then it's like you're not old enough to drink what do you how can you possibly have children yeah, yeah. <laughs> going into college yeah so that's our basic breakdown with our little asides on the cast and crew, I guess cinematographer Richard Klein. Also, I thought it was really beautifully shot. Um, I have a, a funny, um, when, you know, Lawrence Kasdan wanted to cast unknowns. He wanted to cast unknowns because he wanted the whole discovery that happens in this movie and the reveal of who they are 
to not be about you know them as celebrities so he very intentionally cast unknowns um and kathleen turner and william hurt knowing that it was going to be very sexual and they were going to be naked a lot made the choice to meet do you know this fact meet the cast and the crew naked i love that yeah i love that i think it's so great that they yeah what was the story they all they lined up and greeted the crew like naked (laughs) shaking everybody's hands yeah (laughs) and they were so naked in this they were so naked there was one scene when she was just laying on top of him are you know what i'm talking about i know and there was like full pain yeah it was like and and, well total like pube bush too like in the shadows it was yeah, I was like, I said to Linda, I go, that is a pe- there is, that is William Hurt's penis. Just like, hello. And it was not taught like Eddie Redmayne's penis in The Danish Girl. Eddie Redmayne's penis! We've seen a lot of peen lately, Jenny. Which I'm, I'm, I'm very pro-peen. Me too. I And I applaud the filmmakers who are... And actors who have no problem. I enjoy a nice penis. Equal opportunity. Yes. Like bush bush display. So I'm going to read a quick summary that uh, was on IMDb written by Jace Berlin. Plot recap. 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 So thank you, Jace Berlin. Thank you, Jace Berlin. Summary. In a small Florida town, the weather is hot. And for Ned Racine, a seedy lawyer with an overactive sex drive, things are about to get hotter. He makes a play for the intoxicating blonde. I wouldn't call her a blonde, would you, Marcy? I think she kind of, she looked more like Rita Hayworth, almost like that. Almost like your hair color, like this uh, kind of auburn. It was more like Sandy. Really? Wow. Maybe I got to play with the play with the color on my tv yeah. it looked a little yeah because kim zimmer was also they were you know they when he thought she was her from behind and kim zimmer was blonde in this uh, i mean dark blonde not yeah, like maybe a dirty blonde yeah but yeah dirty definitely blonde. looked darker to me uh so anyways okay so he makes a play for the intoxicating blonde he spots at an outdoor concert he seems to be making progress but she disappears yet not before he learns enough about her to find her again he finds her in a bar she invites him to her place to look at her wind chimes. He sees them. She sends him away. But he knows she really wants him, and he's right. He looks inside. She's waiting for him. There's only one thing left for a self-respecting lecher to do. Throw a chair through the window. Their <laughs> torrid affair has begun, and everything seems to be his idea, even when the idea is to murder her husband. You know, I am not sure... If I met a fella at a bar and he followed me home and threw a chair through my window, if I would then go, okay, bring it on, let's do it. I might first call the policia <laughs> or at least a good friend and say, I'm going to have dangerous sex now, but I may be dead. <laughs> that, I'm it's just like saying. saying. I'm getting in the back of this van. <laughs> There's lots of candy. <laughs> there is a chair coming through my window. Glass. I thought of all of that. Yeah, it it is not really a great example of no means no. <laughs> it is not. Right. It doesn't send a good message that way to, to men. So, so I just want to put that out there. I think Marcy is also saying this. So uh, guys, generally, no means no. No does not mean throw a chair. Throw through. a chair through a window. Yeah. Right. Also, I was thinking, God, that is going to be an expensive repair bill. 
They might get glass on their tuchus. I don't know. I hate that. You know, you I don't think like I thought it. about that like, when I first saw it. You don't but like no. the glass in the tuchus. It's not. That would be hurtful. To me, it was very animalistic. Yes. That moment in the story where he's like stalking the outside of the house. I do remember the scene at the end of the first act, I want to say it is, when he decides for the first time to sleep with her and he tells her goodnight and he closes the door and then as he's walking to his car you see the wind chimes and you hear the wind chimes and what you're really hearing is everything that's going on in his head and then he's running around the house and he's looking through all the mirrors and all the different reflections of her and seeing her kind of broken up in all these different prisms. And all that's between them is this a door or a frame of glass. And he takes, I don't remember what he picks up, but he takes something and shatters uh, the glass and comes into her. And that's a great scene that kicks the movie into high gear and is also beautifully done with paranoia and sexuality and William Hurt being an awesome actor. It just reminded me of an animal in heat. <laughs> uh, you know, somebody like the the other animals are trying. The males are trying to get to her, and or you know, in my house, my Chihuahua likes to mount my Yorkie at the foot of the bed, and she does stalk her and first digs, circles three times, and digs to China before she hops on. So, it was <laughs> not as whatever sexy. gets you off, man. <laughs> And what if, you know, you were with a guy and he circled three times and then dug to China on the bed like, <laughs> and then mounted you. Wait a minute. That's, that's never happened to you? <laughs> oh, okay. I, I should have called you. <laughs> Jenny, you really need to educate me better. Jenny's my sex counselor. Oh, I don't think you need much counseling. I think you're doing just fine, lady. I am this morning. Woohoo! Okay, so that's that's the summary and, and the general spec. So uh, what, other, what other thoughts do you have? Do you have other trivia about I have a lot of trivia. You know the most famous person that turned down the role of Ned Racine? Which one? Christopher Reeve. Right, because he said... He didn't think he'd be convincing as a seedy lawyer. I love that. I love that. And I when I read that, I thought... I could totally understand. Where I think he would he's think right because he did have that sort of chiseled, you know, all-American looking. There was something that I read. This... I would have liked to have seen Christopher Reeve's peen, though. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking that maybe he Reeve wasn't peen. Reeve peen that that he wasn't as uh, that he didn't want to get naked. But I don't remember if he gets naked in somewhere in time. Because wasn't that movie out around the same was it? Was it era? I don't think he's been naked. Not that I don't somewhere know, in time gonna, is, is remembered look. as like some. I loved that movie. I did too. It was very romantic. Yes. Shot on Mackinac Island, but that's a whole other thing. Um. So I also read something about somebody not liking William Hurt's cheesy stash, like his his little mustache, oh. but but. That Lawrence Kasdan kept it anyways, because Lawrence Kasdan liked it. I can't imagine him not with, or without that stash. He's got to have that stash. The clothes, his pants were really funny. Those high top sort of polyester. How about those short shorts oh when he was God. running? I mean, I it's know. almost like he's not wearing anything. Those short, th- do you remember those short oh, shorts? Basketball players used to wear shorts that short. Personal, personal moments. I remember my first day 
high school registration, when you registered for high school, you would go, you had to go pick your classes like a couple days before in the auditorium where you sort of met everybody. And there was this guy in junior high, I'm not going to say his name, um, in case he's listening, <laughs> but I had the biggest crush on him and I was sitting right across from him at, uh, at high school registration and he was wearing dolphin shorts. Yes. Dolphin shorts. And the mouse was leaving the house. The snake came out of the cave. He sat in gum. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Oh my god! We talked about that before. I used to once before, and you were like, "What ball sacks have you been looking at?" The <laughs> yeah, what ball sacks have you been looking at? <laughs> oh, it was it. You know, it was like you know when that little penis head starts oh. popping out of the shorts, and he was just sitting there, and I was like. Oh, I, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to look, but you can't help but looking. And I was intrigued. But and scared. animals got to breathe. Just I don't know. And you know what? That summer, uh, next summer, I touched it. Ooh, <laughs> same one. But uh, yeah, that I, I still remember that. Like when I see him, like we're grown people. I was thinking, I remember when his pee pee came out of his shorts at high school Whoa. registration. I bet he does too, and it's hard. I don't he... think he cared oh. or knew. Maybe, he didn't, maybe know. he didn't know. How do you not know when your penis is flying out? I know. How would you not feel the cool breeze? Male in listeners, hair? <laughs> when your penis falls out of your pants, can you tell? But I don't think men wear those short shorts anymore. I don't know. No, not like bicycle shorts and everything. Oh, like but I in. hate the. I can't. I don't like a man in a bicycle short. Because uh, it makes their penises look like cigarillos <laughs> or like like uh, marbles and Vaseline. <laughs> I don't know. They're, you know, and when it's somebody with like, you know, you're, you know, you're it's just you, usually like a lump. Like it's it's, you know, and when it's somebody you don't want to know what their ball sack is shaped like, you know, like your optometrist, maybe. <laughs> or, you I'll know, tell you, though, Steve from the corner. Right. Well, so if I were running into Steve from the corner, I might be more likely to look him in the eye then. And, like, <laughs> to see. It's to... hard to not look when they're wearing bicycle shorts. Oh, you sure. know? Of course. It's like calling you. Am I calling you? Lady! <laughs> See, your bicycle short penis is operatic. Mine works uh, in a cigar shop, apparently. Hey, hey, over here, over here. <laughs> look at head. Look at my sack. Run me for luck. <laughs> it's hot in here. It's hot getting in here squished. Personal, personal moments. Sat in gum. <laughs> I want some more trivia if you okay, get some other I stuff to, to share, and then we'll talk about noir. Um. Oh, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about. Uh. Well, we're, I want to get to the factual errors. Okay. Well, oh, so we're going to talk about the crap. legal, the sexual legal stuff. Well, yeah. Also, I got some inside poop on some of the legal crap last night. The picture was shot in freezing cold temperatures. Right. The production had to stimulate the heat wave of the film story. The actors having to act hot in cold condition. They had to suck ice cubes before speaking to eliminate foggy breath. Yeah, and they were like spraying them down yeah. with water yeah. and stuff. Yeah. 
Maddie Walker always glows, but never sweats. There's that scene where he first meets her at the concert and everybody is fanning themselves and yet there's this huge breeze coming and it doesn't really make sense. But but at the same time, then she says, well, you know, I hear them. I hear the chimes and I go out there and there's no breeze or there's no cool breeze or you whatever. So maybe that's my next door neighbor has wind chimes. And whenever they start going in the wind. I don't feel sexy. I want to go next door and stab her in her sleep. <laughs> so I, uh, one person's wind chimes are sexy. For me, not so much. Yeah, I can imagine that could keep somebody up. And Oh, my God. They're so annoying. Well, Florida is so damp. And, and where she lived is so in the middle of nowhere. Those chimes would scare the hell out of me there's nobody and nothing around and then you hear the, oh my god i have a, a hate relationship with wind chimes because they keep me up a lot like i said my next door neighbor has like i don't know it might be the collection of wind chimes is going into crazy time collection when lawrence kazan was writing uh body heat when he was writing the role of maddie walker he had lauren mccall in his mind and uh, Kathleen Turner was the first person to come in to read where that was it. That She sounded exactly in his, like, the voice he heard in his mind. And she was cast for her similarities to Lauren McCall. I totally see that. Yeah, I totally see. And see, that's, I think, also what I see her looking like. Like, Lauren yeah. McCall, I don't think of as a blonde. I think of Veronica Lake as a blonde. I think of Lana Turner as a blonde. I don't think of Lauren McCall as a blonde. Right. So that's just... That's just me. But anyways, go on. Other women who auditioned, uh, Kim Bassinger and Sigourney Weaver. They turned, Sigourney Weaver turned down the role. Which is strange. Sigourney Weaver loves to get naked, too. I know. I don't... She's sexy in her way and, like, her badass way, but... Yeah, I think... I can't imagine this film with her. No, I can't either. No. She doesn't I, have the femme fatale thing. She's got boy-girl sexy yeah. in, in a more i'm your equal and so you can pin right. me down and then i'm she gonna doesn't pin have you down that, like i would give up everything you know like i mean he lost his shit for her which is so funny because he was such a ladies man i mean when we first meet him it's just a string of ladies in uniform He's yeah, got, yeah so ned has this that. penchant yeah i loved it also as a, as a character and the, and the waitress that it's this, this yeah. character and there's like a meter maid and it's a running joke that his friends kind of razzle him about. And it's just this one little thing, but it really does show how this relationship is different on so many levels. William Hurt did a great job with Ned Racine. Really had that great, goofy amiability about him. He sort of charms people he works with, and he just easily charms people all around. Uh, and he's just such a player and looking to have a good time. And, and, and yet... You really believe that he just completely falls under Maddie Walker's spell in a weird way, even though it kind of seems like it comes out of nowhere. You completely understand why he would just he would just go, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to kill that husband. No problem. I'm not giving up on that pussy. So you were saying about the the law stuff. Oh, OK. When uh, the whole thing with the will, the thing with the will, which was a big thing when she changed the will. She intentionally violated the rule against perpetuities. And the rule against perpetuities is a law 
that prevents people from leaving something to a will indefinitely in the future so they never have to pay taxes on. Essentially, that's why that law came into being. You can only leave to somebody um, a lifetime plus 21 years. We're told that Maddie Walker's revision of the will did violate the rule against perpetuities. We're told that in the meeting with a lawyer from Miami when Ned is called into that office. I'm skeptical though, because all Maddie did was revise the will to split it different ways rather than the original way it had been split. I don't see how that creates a future interest that would have violated the rule against perpetuities. It doesn't, it has something to do, something I read mentioned, it has something to do with like, you can't leave money, like I, I could leave money to my niece, but I couldn't leave money to my niece's children. Right. That's exactly, that's what I'm saying. Right. Lifetime plus 21 years is yeah. the actual thing. So Linda Eastman, who's a lawyer, was telling me last night that when you take the bar, they essentially, he said, nobody, that law is so convoluted in the way it's written that nobody really understands it <laughs> fully so that, um, that you know, he said, like when you, you take the bar, they advise you not to even spend your time studying on it. You know, studying that—that's the particular thing you really shouldn't. But when he said when he watched it last night, he he can't really figure out where they went wrong. Like they just took complete license with that because really they didn't totally violate because it was the it was left to the niece anyway. It was very complicated, but all not, all of the legal things in this movie pretty much. All the things that went wrong were not really fact-checked. Like, if That's you, a lawyer looks at them... Um, I mean, it's funny watching this film with an attorney. Sure. Uh, but nothing... Uh, there was holes in everything. And nowadays, that would never happen. Well, I read uh, an article on... I think it was Uproxx. Uh, by a lawyer who writes... Like, who blogs about movies about lawyers. And who was talking about... Ned Racine is being an incompetent lawyer and all these reasons why. Although he was talking about some of these issues and where they were where they were right or where they were wrong. So I'd love to hear Linda, Linda's thoughts on that. I guess it's like for us, it's uh, we are just civilians watching it. So we're, I'm, I'm ready yeah. to make the buy. I also thought that there was a lot, that there was a deception, like she had, she was telling him things that weren't true, like, well, the, because she originally says, the will as it stands breaks it up between me and my niece. That's what she tells him. Then she has it re, or she has it rewritten behind his back, like we find out later, she's stolen his... Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, she's, yeah, his stationery and forged this addendum or this change to the will which says half goes to her half goes to the niece which is what she originally told him that it said right that's what was confusing which to me i i just saw it as well it's just another lie but like that he's bracing her himself as if she's changed it so it looks like she gets everything right but that doesn't break the law of perpetuities that's the thing that's what I, that's what we were that's what he was explaining right. to me that's so it's if you really would sit there and break, not the not that civilians would, you know, like I wouldn't really if I were, you know, watching it, weren't watching it with an attorney. But they there was a lot of stuff that was left. Not that it's a big deal because no, basically it was sexy. The movie was so sexy, 
screw the legal stuff. I saw William Hurt's penis. I I'm satisfied. I'm I no, and this. Let's talk about the sex, baby. Let's talk about sex, let's talk baby. About the sex. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about it. It was bold sex. You know, it was. I found it was actually. I think what got me going. It was sensual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like pounding, like money shot. Like they were so sensual together. I, I, you know, it was it, those in all those sex scenes, you were like, I want to have that kind of sex, you know? Yeah, it was it was lust driven, but in a languid way yeah and i which slow totally, yeah and you know, it just went with the like, heat it yeah took its not time. like wham bam you know take your clothes off let me pound into you kind of sex which you know blech. and you know which is never really in the movies I mean, which is often in the movies often it's that way and when you you know and that's not really the best sex, <laughs> you know. It but depends, this, but generally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this movie, yeah, it did go with the heat. And it was, there was one when he was just, he was behind her. And, and they were both, you know, they were both so beautiful. Is that the implied anal sex scene? Yes. Yeah. Which uh, comes probably about halfway through the movie. And, and the scene beforehand where he's having lunch with Lowenstein and, and Oscar the detective and they're making a joke about one of the women in uniform. I think the meter maid or whatever she is, and saying like, "Oh, did she let you park in the in the no loading zone?" <laughs> and then cut to like Kathleen Turner like biting a pillow. Like, yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> You're right. Stop. You, you know that it's um, anal because he's asking. Are you okay? <laughs> and you know that's not one of the scenes that Miss Marcy would put herself in. I, you know, my zone is not for unloading. Well, it's only for unloading. It's not for loading. That is an unloading zone only. Yes. A no tushy fly zone. <laughs> and the there's a scene where there's an implied blowjob or she's going for the blowjob that the niece walks in on. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's the best line in the movie. He's never seen an, a- she's never seen an angry one. Yeah. Wait, wait, the- yeah, they are, um, they're looking to have the niece identify whoever it was that she may have walked in on getting a blowjob from Maddie and Lowenstein reports it back. That was also really That was a crazy I was on the I was on tenterhooks in that scene. That whole storyline, the whole Ned Racine storyline with that goes along with the case, I thought was very interesting and, and I bet Linda could speak to this too. His best friends who were the detective and the prosecutor are telling him everything that's going on in the case every step of the way. Yeah, what was that all about? Yeah. I think they I think they were trying to give him ways to find ways out. Yes, exactly. They and didn't want him to be guilty and I don't think they liked her. I you know well, Yeah, I mean they certainly didn't know her and I think they knew exactly what was going on. Kathleen Turner did a really good job of maintaining that aloofness and that calculated uh, coldness. 
while still very believably seducing him with her sexuality. There was a point when, when Lowenstein said someone is working really hard to make you look really bad. Yeah. And again, so there there's toxic love for you. A uh, great example or, or love with a sociopath. She totally manipulates him, cutting you off from other people in your life. He's been pretty much absent from his friend's world at that point. And then they're all kind of warning him and they're all looking out for him and he's not listening and he's not listening. There's a moment where he gets the call from the lawyer in Miami and he learns that there's been a change to the will and that he, uh, supposedly he was the one who filed it and he is just going along with it. But the look on his face where he's on that phone call, he does this like baffled phone call look really well. He does. He just, I thought, I thought William Hurt played those scenes great where he's getting all this information. You can kind of see him trying to piece it together. And I just kept thinking, like, why don't you just say I didn't do that? Why don't you just say I didn't do that? Yeah, there had there were points in the case when he could have saved himself and he didn't. Although he did kill the guy, so he couldn't fully save himself. That That's very true. You know, that's the bottom line is he killed the guy. Yeah, he did. I, and so I think it would have been better if she had killed him and, he and took, framed him. That was something else that I read about, but I didn't notice it when I was watching it because I read afterwards. But apparently in earlier versions, there was a scene at some point where there was a botched attempt to kill him, kill the husband, and they cut that out. But in the final scene where they're having the confrontation, they use different pieces from both that scene and the one that had been cut out. So at the beginning of the sequence where she's in bed with her husband, there are one style of sheets on the bed. And then they cut back to her being in bed with him, hearing the noise downstairs, and the bed has different sheets on it. That That's just one of those little things that, it, unless you were looking for it, I don't think you'd find it. But I, I wonder what that other scene of a botched attempt would be. I can see why they wouldn't use it to move the story along, but... I, I Yeah, I kind of think I would have liked the movie better. Like, it, he would have been even more screwed if he hadn't... If she had killed her husband and framed him. Yeah. There's like, also... That would have been even more just devastating. For him? Well, just as an audience member, too. Because I, you know, he... He did, bottom line, he did kill the guy, you yeah. know? So you can't, you feel sorry for him. You don't feel that sorry for him. Although, here's the thing, too, is we don't know. Uh, okay, so we're, we're we're skipping all around. We are. Um, which is fine. I I, I just hope you guys are, are following us. So towards the end when they, the, I don't even know, it's not really towards the end. So when they kill him. The the husband Edward, played by Richard Crenna. Edward has I love a, Richard Crenna. He's got a gun in the house, and so he's got a gun. The gun goes off. There's a shot in, inside the house, which is never talked about again. That nobody ever yeah. came and looked at the house and looked at his things. The fact that his gun had gone off in the house, there must have been a bullet hole somewhere. And then Ned is going to kill him with a stick of what like looks like a yeah what was it looks, looks like part of a fence or something like a yeah. wooden post and you don't see it you hear it 
But then you cut to him putting the body in the trunk, right? So that's like the next thing. And so you don't really see like one blow with a stick of wood. I don't know how deadly that would be. Uh, but I mean, apparently it was deadly enough. But I don't know, Jenny, because I am not a murderer. <laughs> I did not. Come I chose on, not to take on. murder studies in college. Murder 101. I took uh, theater history instead. <laughs> I took tap dancing instead of murder studies. I'm going to tap dance you to death. Yes. So, I- so they don't really talk about what the death looked like or how it how it actually happened. Because then when he takes the body to the place that he's disposing of it, there seems he's the body's wrapped up in this plastic and there seems to be so much blood on the plastic. I just remember turning it to Yoko and saying, Where did all that blood come from? But I don't know. The blood hole. <laughs> it came from his blood hole, Jenny. Don't you know about those? The blood hole. <laughs> Personal, personal moments. Have you ever been in a relationship where you lost your shit that bad? I mean, not obviously to the point of killing somebody, because I don't think any one of us would ever do that. But where, like, you look back at it and you think, wow, I feel like I lost myself so much and was led down a, they led me down a path that I'm not proud of. I I guess a little bit, but I think that it's, um, I think it's a fine line that a lot of people walk because of what happens to us when we fall in love. Right. And when we fall into lust and then love, all these neurotransmitters and hormones are going fucking haywire. And yeah. it's like we become drug addicts. And so, especially when you're young, I think when I was younger, it was more likely to happen because you just don't have all that self-regulation equipment and tools in place. You haven't right. gone through enough romantic loss to know that you're going to get through it so it all feels so like everything is like this is life or death right right i think william hurts a great actor and he plays the obsession role incredibly beautifully when something goes wrong or there's a threat to it all the alarms go off and you feel like i've got there's a desperation i've got to keep this going i've got to keep my got to keep my fix i gotta i gotta keep keep getting the the hit because that's what those chemicals do is they really they simulate the reward and pleasure centers that that go off when we do cocaine or heroin opioids all those receptors so people do fucking nutty things while i have never known anyone to uh actually go so far as killing uh, another man in order to be with someone i did once have a friend who moved out of town to a trailer park where this woman he'd started dating lived and she did nothing but take care of the other children in the trailer park so they just stayed there all day and eventually he had to go get a job and the only job he could find around there was literally digging ditches and uh, he felt like the sex was good enough with this woman to stay in her trailer all day long and dig ditches for money until eventually he took her home to meet his mother and his mother's dog bit the woman because she was just such an awful person. And then he finally managed to break free of the spell. But that's, yeah, that's the closest I've ever seen in real life to uh, never seen. We see that in people when they're in the first three to six months of a relationship. And then the honeymoon period is over and the relationship begins. And this is all like honeymoon stage, right? 
Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> no, I'm just listening. What to about you? Um, you know, I think that I've been in in the past. I've been in some bad relationships. I think that yeah, I think I've been involved not obviously not to this point. But I think I've been involved in relationships where I did things that weren't me. You know, I found myself sort of being led down a path that I didn't like. The difference is I got out of them. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like I went, oh, wait a minute here. This isn't good. You yeah. know, but I, I do think that I've done some things in the name of lust. But, I, you know, when I was younger, that I'm not that proud of. Yeah, I I. I would definitely say I was very hyper-reactive. I also, it's also about who your role models are. I think, you know, I had, my my parents are very dramatic in their own ways. And so that was how I learned how to respond to the stress of loss and abandonment and rejection and criticism, all those kinds of things, or, you know, jealousy and envy all of those things when I was growing up were very heightened because that was the environment that I grew up in. So that was, oh, this is how you're supposed to feel. This is how you're supposed to react. And as I started to actually experience the consequences of being like that in the real world, I realized, wait a minute, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be feeling suicidal every time a relationship falls apart. I don't want to be, you know, obsessively calling somebody, why, why? you know, or whatever it is, or I don't want to cut myself off from everything else that's important in my life because I, I just want to be with this person. Right. You know, those but are lessons we learn as we're older, you know, that we, you know, a relationship should complete your life. It shouldn't be your life. It should complement your life. Right. And sometimes when we haven't had those experiences, we just want to merge with someone and maybe we cocoon and become our own world or we go into their world or we drag them into our world but there's never any creation of a fully integrated world where you know right. it's 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 an us it's not me coming into your world or you coming into mine and again hopefully that's something that people learn as they get older as they have more relationships and like possessiveness goes away you know when you really love someone it just it's easy but you it, we say that and we sound like assholes because like for me I can say that cuz I'm in an easy relationship but until you're in one right it just seems like a flippant thing to say like it shouldn't be so much work <laughs> no but I feel the same way you know, it's just, it's not, I mean, I'm very happy in my relationship and it's not a lot of work. I mean, I like making him happy. Right. So I will take measures to do that. And But he's, you know, just such an, he's wonderful. So. And also to add on to what I was saying before too, I mean, the, after the first three to six months and the honeymoon period is over, doesn't mean that we can't continue to foster those feelings and invite them in and, and keep them going. It's just that, you know, the newness of it has has worn off. It's sort of the new car smell has faded a little right. bit. <laughs> there are other ways to 
keep your vehicle smelling fresh. There are. There <laughs> and, are. And, and running and the challenge, Not the challenges, but it's exciting. It's fun to explore those things. Well, I think one thing that both you and I have and, and that I, I always hope for other people wherever possible is... You know the humor, the share, the shared, the laughing. shared sense of humor oh is God, is so, huge. Oh, we laugh all the time, and and that really, that can change the dynamic of a relationship. Can you imagine being with someone who wasn't funny? <laughs> or funny to you, right? Because right. it's always it's all yeah, kind of relative. But, but yeah, I can't. You know, laughing is so important or being with somebody who didn't think you were funny oh that would be awful that you know because <laughs> that's my identity I mean, it's, it's man, one thing you know? if, if, I've, I've got plenty of friends who i think have other strengths than yeah the, but, but if they didn't think i was funny it would be oh. it'd be well you're one difficult. of the funniest people i know oh Jenny. my you gotta meet more people no i i'm very lucky because i i have been befriended by very smart and funny people i'm very attracted to smart and funny people so I, I'm very like yourself. Your chair is farty sounding. I know. Excuse my farty sounding chair. Oh, isn't that embarrassing when you're in a farty chair and you're not actually farting? It's more embarrassing, I suppose, if you farted, but. Personal. Personal moments. So in this movie, yeah, this toxic love, it's like obsessive. There's, there's this fixation everything becomes very important and dramatic is and... this movie a cautionary tale I, did he I set out to a... make a cautionary tale i think he set out to honor a style of movie that right. is like a cautionary tale yeah i remember when i was younger and first getting into movies and falling in love with film Nora that i kind of loved it for its really cool dialogue and its mysteries but i think now what i really enjoy about it is the kind of deep psychological characters that it allowed because of the darker things that the characters were doing. The movie, and you can look this up online, listeners, there's lots of stuff that's been written about it. Lawrence Kasdan was making a film noir. What what This movie falls into a category of what is typically called neo-noir, and it's an offshoot of classic noir, which came out in the early it's early 40s to late 50s depression era and came out of the depression was at the time they were called like melodramas or b movies movies made for very little money so they had to be very creative in how they shot it and it was usually black and white and the use of shadow and that's movies like double indemnity Postman Always Rings Twice, Sunset Boulevard. Well, Double Indemnity was one of his uh, inspirations for this movie. Yeah, some people say that it's almost just a reworking of Double Indemnity. It is in some ways. I think it is in some ways. I think it definitely feels derivative of films before. I think that's part of what Kasdan was doing, was trying to take all of the aspects of his favorite noirs that he, I assume he was a film student. I mean, he came up with Spielberg and Lucas the film noirs that he studied and he was trying to emulate them and kind of give them a modern spin with more overt sexuality. Um, but I think he was so good at what he did that it is something that stands on its own as a classic of film noir. So the neo-noir takes things like that, like these storylines, these classic storylines and the core elements and use the, the same kind of style of storytelling only with what modern filmmaking has allowed. I thought that Body Heat was a fun twist on a film noir. 
set in the 80s. It really incorporated a lot of uh, more modern sensibilities into the format and a lot of sex and sweat and things that made it really uh, sexy and appealing in a very 80s way. By 1981, more overt sexuality was something that people were doing and was something you could do. Whereas in classic noir, everything's very oblique and sort of now. Now, undercover. would you say that this movie, again, going back to the sex in this movie, I would call it more sensual than sexual. I would say that this movie is so sensual. I agree. Which is sexy, but, I, I, you know, there's such a difference, you know. It's not that, I mean, there's a lot of, of sex in the movie, but it's the sensuality that got, you know, got me all funny in my pants. I, I was funny in my pants when I watched this. I was definitely funny in my pants when I <laughs> first saw it. I, I mean, yeah. I was still, last night watching it, yeah, I mean, it's still a funny in, in the pants kind of. <laughs> it is Dancy in the it's Pants. It's a funny in the pants. Dancy in the pants. I think it was... Maybe it was Yoko who used, he was talking about the mood, like in the style of film and filmmaking, like the mood is very important yeah. and, and it's very sultry and so sultry. Yeah. And, and even like and said, her sensual. voice and smoky. Oh, well, and the smoking, <laughs> Let's talk the about cigarettes, smoking. that one scene in the court when she said, do you mind if I smoke? And then they just all <laughs> took their cigarettes out. That was so funny. Everybody but Ted Danson. David's mother. David. The actress that played the um, the sister. Uh huh. That's David Pressman's mother. Oh, that's David Pressman's mother. Yes. Oh, wow! I did not know that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Who played Roz, the sister? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. the The smoking the smoking thing was hilarious and is such a symbol of another time and a different era. Tell me what your thoughts are on this because I thought. Ted Danson's character, Lowenstein, Lowenstein, Jew, was, was very sort of ambiguous. I always, it seemed almost, at first he's a little lecherous, like living vicariously through his friends. But friend. maybe secretly gay and in love with <laughs> Because Ned he's Rassane. tap dancing? I don't know. I, I almost sometimes got the feeling he had a little man crush on Ned Racine. Maybe he did. Maybe he was a little repressed. I, I've never thought about that but but now you know those tap dancey jewish boys i've known enough of them there were some in hebrew school i still question i'm just saying <laughs> so this tap dancing jewy boy uh he almost seems like he's the one who is going to turn on his friend he seems yeah. even in that scene with the will like he's just sitting to the side knowingly with this smug look on his face and keep well he was always there yeah, it just felt like he was the one who was going to turn on his friend or turn his friend in. Or Why was Lowenstein the lawyer on every case? Do you notice that? It was always Lowenstein. Wasn't he the county prosecutor or something? It's because he was the Jewish one. <laughs> He's the only Jew in town. It's a I'm small still town. being a Jewish lawyer. Right, they, they said, though, <laughs> they said, Ned, Ned makes a comment that he knows everyone, that everybody knows yeah. each other. It's a very small town. And not Andy's a town Jewish. to do a murder in. <laughs> not a good town it's to murder. It's not in. a good murder. If you're going to murder do in the in name of town. sex, do it in a bigger city. Do it in a bigger city. Absolutely. Just some words of wisdom. Not in a place where everybody knows your name. Viola Davis would Be say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to commit a murder in a town where the lawyer then goes on to star in a sitcom where about a place everybody where everybody knows your name. 
<laughs> you want to know where people go. Where troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> well, I know we're not going to have to get rights to that. Because that was not even... <laughs> That was like That's one of those that. like like let's, Wagadi Boo God Luke. Yeah, like we're gonna take this very <laughs> famous song, but we're gonna just alter it a little bit so it sounds like you know what we're singing about, but it's just different enough that nobody's gonna sue us. Humana 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 humana. You wear a hat and I have pants. <laughs> so so my so Sorry. to go back to my point about. Lowenstein the Jew. Oh, sorry. The Jew Lowenstein. Jewenstein. Is that I had this feeling at first like he was not such a great guy, but by the end of it, you realize he may be one of the most moral people in it. I don't know, moral, but he he's he was good. He was a good guy, and like he cared about his friend, and he did you know he didn't smoke, and not that not smoking makes you a better. And he person. tap danced. <laughs> tap danced. Uh, but see, see if he smoked, then I might believe that he was a closeted gay man because of you know an oral fixation. Right now, I'm just making a gross generalization. So you really I'm are just Jenny. yes, I'm hateful. You need to go to a place where everybody knows your name, <laughs> and then with troubles are all the same, <laughs> and they all know my name, and they're throwing things at me. Some stylistic markers. I'm wearing pants, and you have a hat. <laughs> I don't know what I'm singing now. I don't know what I'm <laughs> So some of the stylistic markers of noir and neo-noir are often like crime dramas or or thrillers. There's there's an air of cynicism. Say that say that really fast. Here's here comes our cynicism. Sibling. Cynicism. Oh no. Cynicism. Cynicism and sexual motivations. There's usually the feeling that things are strange, erotic, ambivalent, and cruel. I like a little strange. <laughs> I like a little ambivalent. <laughs> I like a little cruel. <laughs> I'm a little bit ambivalent. <laughs> I'm a little bit cruel. <laughs> really should be the other way around. Um, yeah. uh, that, again, like in terms of the filmmaking, there's some really unusual angles and shots. And there's a lot of these overhead shots or these interesting points of view, which makes it a, a good film it there's there's definitely style to it you you felt the feel you felt the i thought you felt the environment in that film like i said i it was hot last night so that was part of it but i just when the movie was over i was still in that mood i, I was laying on the bed and my nightgown i was like it's hot in here <laughs> <laughs> it's getting hot in here so take off all your clothes i said Now that we're naked, because we've taken off all our clothes, talk about the archetypes. I mean, she's like your classic femme fatale in yeah. some ways, right? She like... is, you think? <laughs> archetypes is the new prescient. <laughs> the seductress who, if you get involved with her... It's... I'm not bad. I'm just drawn this way. Wasn't she the voice of Jessica yes, Rabbit? Yes, she was, and and I kept thinking that I kept that that phrase just kept going through my. Thing. And that's oh, we never said that classic line that Lowenstein said to him when they were talking about if they could identify 
the guy and that all all the little girl could remember was the penis because she said she, she'd never seen an angry one before. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way of describing it. It's just angry, angry. It gets hard when it's angry. That poor girl is probably scared. See, and for when life. I see a hard penis, I think friendly. I think <laughs> I think it's happy. I think it's very happy to see me. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I think it's just, like a big welcome sign. But it's for, like a welcome map. But for a kid, it could just look like a, a giant club about to come and harm you. Maybe or a popsicle. <laughs> really depends on uh, a blow pop. Yeah, the shape, size, and package. Do you remember when you first saw the movie? I mean, we talked a little bit at the top. But... I saw it in the theaters. Like I said, for me, when I saw the movie, I was not sexually mature really yet. I don't think I was having sex yet. I th- It made me <laughs> like, whoa, you know? That was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I was old enough to see an R-rated movie, but it was like, ooh, I... You know, is that what it's like? And okay. is that how I want it to be? You know, not without the murdering and the, you know, <laughs> any up in prison part, but the, you know, the sensuality, I just keep going back to that, that I was like, I was so intrigued by how they touched each other. You know, the physicality in that movie really did it for me. One of the things I was thinking about when you're talking about how they touched each other and the sensuality was her manipulation. I don't know that they really have many conversations about what they're going to do or how they're going to get rid of her husband or how they're going to deal with the consequences of getting rid of her husband when it's not coming right after sex, which is such a vulnerable time for people when they're literally naked and sweaty or whatever. So, you know, she's such a master. The character is such a master manipulator in that, like, I'm going to ask for what I want when I've got a stick in my hands. You know, uh, well, who doesn't? But uh, (laughs) it is a good time for that. But... Don't listen to this part, Linda. I thought that Maddie Walker was a interesting twist on the film noir femme fatale, that she ha- had a real um, uh, calculated vulnerability about her, that she employed her sensuality a little bit more than her wit, although that was certainly well on display. When she didn't want her husband to go downstairs and she held him in the room by having sex with him, and right after, with all the, the scenes with with Ned Racine, it was they were always satiated. He, the husband, was purple. He looked like he was about to have a heart attack, and he said, Jesus, you're trying to kill me. And he looked like he didn't feel well right after that. That was like a total opposite to the sex she had with Ned Racine. Which would have been an interesting thing, too, had he died or fall, fallen down the steps or something. But Ned Racine, I think, has a line like that at the beginning too you are killing me i'm red i'm sore you're sore you got nerve look at it about to fall off is there any more ice i'm burning up but your point is right on target that ned racine is definitely more of a sexual match and after seeing her with ned racine her routine with her husband seems so staged and story-wise as an audience member do you feel like she really did care about ned or do you think she's like total sociopath i 
think that, you know, she obviously set out to frame Ned. She did all her research. She chose who she wanted there. But did she enjoy having sex with him? Yes, I think she did. Yeah, I think she definitely enjoyed having sex with him. It, it looked like they were very compatible in that regard. But obviously she can have sex with but people she's... did she she's... have feelings with him, for him? No, I don't think she did. I don't think she felt for him at all. I feel like the scene at the very end where she's on the beach... Ugh, she was such a bitch in that scene. But it's hard to know if she's what she's thinking or feeling. It's right. kind of very open-ended. But again, there is this idea that she's supposedly dead and Ned is locked up in a prison and obsessed about her. You know, he had a real sort of ease about him in the character and really seemed just slimy enough to do what he did. At the same time, sort of retained this certain inscrutability. You couldn't quite read what was going on with him at all times until he really figured everything out. Then, of course, at the end, where he just seems to be content to like know the truth that she's really someone else and he's hanging out in his jail cell is a little weird, but uh, still, given what the character was, I think William Hurt did a great job. Do you think he... Did they make a sequel? I feel like they... Wasn't there... Did they make a sequel and it was never released? I Why do didn't... I now? Okay, phone's going on. I, I don't... Beep! <laughs> so while Marcy does that, I, I'm going to talk... Looks that stuff up. I'm going to talk just a little bit more about toxic love or love with a sociopath while she looks this up. Again, we talked about, you know, friends are warning him. So if all your friends are like, hey, you know, maybe you want to rethink this, maybe you want to listen to it, the more defensive you are, maybe the more you need to... Talk to someone. Go talk to a professional because your friends may be wrong. They they may not be the right objective people to consult. But uh, but if everybody is saying, hey, I don't think this is really good for you, maybe they're on to something. Tell me more about that. When we fall in love, like the first stage of love is usually lust, which we see a lot of in this movie. And that's driven by estrogen and testosterone and the early stages of this can also feel like anxiety. That's kind of excitement because anxiety also feels a lot like excitement and nervousness and excitement and nervousness can feel a little bit like uh, anxiety. So if you're feeling anxious, maybe you should ask yourself if you're just nervous or, or excited. Then there's attraction. What we know is romantic love. And again, the reward and pleasure. We focus our attention more. The neurotransmitters that go off are really telling us to focus our attention and, and that allows us to crave for one person because biologically it's the way we're wired so that we will procreate find find someone and fuck them and have kids so this is when an adrenaline and dopamine and serotonin come in when you start to have that that excited feeling of sweating and heart racing and butterflies and your mouth dries out that's that's adrenaline and cortisol uh, when we're totally love-struck, that's when we're in, like, the highest dopamine levels, and that's the desire and reward hormone. Uh, dopamine, what I always call it, the dopest of means. It's like cocaine or heroin, and we get this rush. It's We get increased energy. We get a decrease in our need for sleep or food. You know, when you're first falling in, it's like, I'm losing all this weight, and I'm I'm getting so much done, even though I'm sleeping less. 
that's because you're falling in love. And everything, all the details in a relationship become really important and awesome. And then the serotonin changes the way we think in the early stages. And it helps kind of blind us. Like love is blind. We idealize the person. We magnify their virtues and minimize their flaws. And again, it's nature's way of saying, stick with this person. Have some kids. And then attachment phase starts. And that's when we start to bond with people and get secure and oxytocin and vasopressin come in and oxytocin is also known as the cuddle drug the cuddle hormone and that's released during orgasm and it's what bonds mothers and babies as well separately but we release it during orgasm and the more sex you have with someone the deeper your bond becomes because you just keep feeding that so that's also how do you keep it fresh after six months? Keep having sex because you just keep bonding. Keep releasing your cuddle drug and you're going to want to cuddle with that person. So what did we find out? Was there a body heat too? I forgot where I was. <laughs> I was listening to Jenny's other podcast. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, fill in. You should in. do a commercial for your podcast. Uh, well, uh, this is a separate thing. but But I do think that you know, these all kind of play into why we're, we have sex with certain people and why we're attracted to who we're attracted to. Absolutely. No, there was not a sequel. I, that I was really, thank Jenny, one. thank you for that information. That was really interesting. I was listening and I, I forgot. I, 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 I was listening. I forgot where I was. I, I didn't mean that in a bad way. I was, I was just listening. But it also <laughs> explains why, you know, when we break up with someone, it just feels like withdrawal too. Yes. Because suddenly we're no longer getting our fix of all these really important things. And, and we've, we literally feel that physical pain. And there are these moments you can see in the film that I think William Hurt plays really well where he's torn where you think like he's going to give it to her now he's going to walk away he's going but he's just sitting there silently and she's just like i was just trying to do this for us and i'm so worried about our relationship and i love you and well also you know even though he knew he knew how bad she was i think that there you know he left her in bit by bit and again it goes back to being in a toxic relationship and i know i've been there where they can't be that bad and they throw you a little crumb so you're like oh okay all right see oh yeah no they're that bad (laughs) but there's that feeling like i don't want to believe they're that bad because then i have to believe that i was duped or that i wasn't smart enough or i wasn't or it wasn't real and and that can be very difficult for all of us to have those feelings you know what's really interesting now that you mentioned it after i went to sleep last night and like i said i had a really good time after the movie as did jenny we both in both both households personal personal moments <laughs> there was singing through the land <laughs> so that movie if you that movie makes you want to do it man it is a it is a a sex conductor but um I dreamt when in my dream, you know who was in my dream last night? Who was in your dream last night? A very toxic person from my past Hmm. who I lived in an apartment with when you first met me. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I just realized that. That came up for you somewhere. So yeah, that's interesting. 
So yeah, you know there is that that the movie. I so I guess I do think it is in some ways a cautionary tale. Absolutely, in a lot of ways. Because I think if nothing else, just to kind of remember that love and sex can blind us, and to just not to feel those, not to not feel those feelings. Double negative. Uh, you know, yes, feel those feelings. Be there. Be present. Be open. All those good things, but also remember sometimes that these other things are important too, like your friends and your work. Also remember to pee after doing it. That's very important. Yes. <laughs> always important to keep everything in working order. And take your cranberry pills. Especially if you want to keep doing it. <laughs> you want to keep keep on that oxytocin train. Yes. You keep to- your vagina happy. Yes. You want more cuddling? do that uh but yeah the the lying if if you and your partner are starting to scheme shit together maybe you should rethink the relationship i'm just like i'm having a funny thought of you know the people in our lives and scheming things with them what would we scheme (laughs) i don't know how to get concert tickets (laughs) you know what about Dumb men with hard cocks. There, there's a there's a hello. There's what a, about dumb men with hard cocks? Well, she even says at the beginning, like you're not very smart, are you? I like that in a man or something like that. And later on, the Jew Lowenstein says something to him, like you know, one of these days your cock's gonna get you killed, or your dick's gonna get you killed, or in trouble, or. You know, what's really funny is that when in comedy, uh, I had a lot of male friends that I would hang out with and um, they were all huge womanizers, like huge womanizers, huge. It was disgusting at at a point. And it was very funny because my mother used to have this big. Yom Kippur, breaking of the fast every year. And every year they would all come. And as the years went on, they were getting older and the women they were chasing were getting younger. To the point where one year, some of them brought with them like these, just these just ridiculously young chippies. And my mother walked over the table and she goes, you know what, you guys, you're not cute anymore. (laughs) It's good and and you know it's so funny because a couple of those guys have just finally settled down and had children and they're like the oldest fathers in history and the other ones are dead so (laughs) i uh you know like some of them went down really bad but i do know some guys who spend so many years being led by their cock and nothing else. And they're really unhappy. I know a couple guys. It's just gotten them in a lot of trouble. And now they're like these sad older guys in one bedroom apartments. You know, they're just. Well, when you're no playing love. the numbers. Yeah. When you're playing the numbers, you may have a lot of sex. But uh, and and that might temporarily feel like love. But it's not love. It's it's sex. And it doesn't mean that you can't get love and sex together or one can't be born of the other but like you're saying and you know and after a certain time like a lot of these guys now are saying can't you fix me up with one of your friends and i just think in my head 
ew no right why would i do that after what you've told me over the years and what i've witnessed and 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 the fact that i think they are not capable you know they think they are but they're not and who would want to do that to a friend you know yeah i love the line that you know what your friends think of you when they set you up with someone (laughs) because i mean i i've been set up only a few times in my life but it was always like huh Really? Yeah. You thought that was going to be the right person? Okay. I mean, it wasn't, like, offensive, but it was just like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Not, not not, really what I was going to be going to, but okay. Personal. Personal moments. We talked a little bit about what the, the classic noir movies where I just also want to say, you know, some neo-noir movies, other ones, if you want to check them out. The more modern films in the genre, you know, the classics from my high school years, the the Usual Suspects, the L.A. Confidentials. I think it's gotten harder and harder, actually, for films like this to get made and to be put into theaters because there are so many television shows that are weekly mysteries. I think you have to be something very standout and something very superb. Of course, the greatest film noir of the last few decades is The Big Lebowski, which is an amazing play on you know The Big Sleep, uh, The Big Knockover, things like that. Some of the earlier ones, Cape Fear, both the original and the remake i love the remake of cape I fear do too. oh with juliette lewis so and bad. robert de niro that thumb sucking scene oh my oh. god uh manchurian candidate great film uh the long goodbye which i just saw a couple oh, of years ago for the first I time love i loved that, that movie loved it so then this movie falls into what some people consider like a neo-noir tragedy of femme fatales which are body heat Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. And you can sort of see where the the similarities Fatal are. Fatal Attraction. There's another cautionary tale. Oof. Oof, yes. Uh, L.A. Confidential. Wild Things. I love that movie. I love that movie. I didn't love L.A. Confidential. Uh, Usual Suspects is another one. Uh, and one I haven't seen, but Yoko Who mentioned. Who is Kaiser Soze? One that Yoko brought up that I think you've seen is Brick. Oh, Brick is great. So also... With JGL. Yep. Uh, So like Raymond Chandler books and James M. Cain books and and movies. And these were hard-boiled fiction that uh, are the style of of film noir. And that's that's the other thing is with this arch language. I mean, nobody really talks like the characters in in (laughs) Bob. Although I felt like when when they're together, when, when... Ned and Maddie are together. They're talking in this very stylized. Maybe you shouldn't dress like that. Maybe you shouldn't wear that body. Exactly. That was my favorite line. I'm wearing a shirt and a blouse. Or or whatever, a skirt and a blouse. And maybe you shouldn't wear that body. (laughs) It was such a great If it were me, I'd say, I'm wearing Spanx and a nice (laughs) blousey (laughs) cover-up. She always looks like she's not wearing a bra, even though she probably is. <laughs> I'm wearing a muumu and Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe you shouldn't wear that tuchus. <laughs> oh, my God. Just variations on a theme. June War. Well, we talked about why we chose to cover this movie. Because it's sexy. It's very, very sexy. And smart. It's very smart. And, and she's... 
talking about gender roles in this. I mean, she's definitely smarter, but playing dumb. She's using her gender to her advantage. Oh, like she was good. Stereotypical gender roles, right? She was Damsel good. in distress, but yes. she's really the femme fatale. Yep. Body Heat is an incredibly sexual film, obviously. It's, it can do more overtly what the films of the 30s and 40s and 50s had to do more obliquely, and I think... Kathleen Turner will always remember her for how sexually, how sexy she was in that show, in that movie. Well, she's got that low voice that's just at the low end of acceptable for a chick. Critics responded to this movie. Most people liked it. Roger Ebert loved it. Paula Kale, Kale really was not so, so keen on it. Did you find anything interesting that the critics had to say about it? I did. It made a lot of lists, 101 movies ever to see, the 25 sexiest top movie couples. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they were. Yeah, it just get the, the it just kept, it made all these lists. Um, it made uh, 101 movies you must see before you die. Definitely. Definitely yeah. a movie to see before you die. Well, you know, made. she was also nominated for, like, Best Newcomer in Film. She didn't win, but, like, the Golden Globe and a couple other things. So this really launched her career. And we've we've talked about how it's derivative. Um, I think we've also talked a little bit about what's unique about it, talking about the yeah. sensuality and kind of the explicit sexuality. Right. But I don't think it's, I think it's explicit sensuality. I mean, other than we saw body parts, you didn't really see pounding and penetration and things like that were implied, but there was a lot of petting and touching and exploring. That to me is sensuality. Somebody had a comment to one of the reviews that they were sort of ripping on the staging as being that they were posing a lot. And yes, there are sort of these surging moments of score that are you know building underneath as she's just for example i'm thinking about where she is standing in her foyer and he's stalking the outside before the chair goes through the window and she's just sort of standing there with her legs like rubbing on her thigh and her hands like sort of on her chest and you know at least it wasn't the danish girl pose right and he read men's penis again her hand was not on her face yeah <laughs> And her eyes were not looking up like, to like the her, sky. Yeah, her shoulder wasn't up to her cheek. She didn't have a finely turned ankle. <laughs> no, she did not. Uh, I tell everybody to see this movie. It's one of my favorites. I think it's a good movie for a couple who, uh, you uh, know. I would say. Definitely fun. Like I said, it definitely gets the juices flowing. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to not feel sexy right after you've seen that movie. Yes. Again, though... We do not advise that anybody kills anybody after this. No. Because, <laughs> uh, like, like Miss Marcy said, it is a cautionary tale. Yes, absolutely. Um, So we're very pro the sex part of it and very anti the murder part of it. Yeah, I would say I'm pro-sex anti-murder just as a stance. Just generally. I think that's going to be our bumper sticker. Cinema sex ed, pro-sex anti-murder. Yeah, I think that's our definitely our thing. What do you think this movie is saying about sex as we're talking about the cautionary tale and the sensuality in it? Is it saying anything specific? If you find a dumb man with a hard cock, take him for all he's got. Make him buy you a snow cone. <laughs> Don't I always? Cherry. There's cherry everywhere. Cherry snow cone. Cherry pie. Okay. She's my cherry pie. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. She's my 
Are there any characters that you relate to in this movie? Lowenstein. <laughs> I relate to the niece Heather. <laughs> I've never seen one angry before. Oh, I've seen an angry one. What was the I've seen one that winked at me. <laughs> I keep. It was. I think there was a scene when he came up behind her. She always like she just you could always see like a little nip. Yeah, she never wore she a bra. It's yeah, you blouses, always white silk like, blouses, no bra. Yeah, we're seeing it. I only seem to remember her wearing white throughout the entire movie. Is that true? But she was wearing a, a nightgown or like a lacy thing, and he came up behind her, and he just like ran his hands up her body from behind. They were standing there, and he was just feeling her, and I was like, oh, okay, get me a diet coke. <laughs> <laughs> I need to somebody mop the seat. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Yes. Miss Jenny. Yeah. Who what might... about you? Uh sexiest part of this movie. You liked the butt stuff, didn't you? I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I am like I I'm just like all about the ass play, <laughs> ass play one hundred and one. Um, That's Jenny's nickname, ass play Johnson. Yeah, I, <laughs> ass play Johnson. It's my porn name. <laughs> I just call her APJ. <laughs> You know, there's Sarah Jessica Parker. Three names very in. Asplay Johnson, that's me. Um, <laughs> I can't believe. Uh, I would say, you know, yes, I, Asplay. I think the place where he comes right before they get walked on, walked in on when she's going to oh, the blowjob, yeah. where he's. You know that he's been out there, he swam over or something, and he's all wet, and and he, it's like they cannot keep away from one another, and there's just that, oh my god, I just want you, that, that feeling, and I think that that's a fantasy that I'm sure I'm not alone at, but when you are, especially when I'm with someone, in love with someone, you know, the way... I, I feel with my husband after all these years, it's like that feeling is so fulfilling that somebody can't keep their hands off you or must have you. And there's that moment that, that just that pull between the two of them is so strong and their chemistry is, is really good. Their chemistry is really strong. Those oh actors. my God. So strong. The portrayal of Kathleen Turner of Maddie Walker and the, the ease that she has about herself and her sexuality and her use of her sexuality and uh, and Ned Racine as well like he's just kind of up for whatever and he seems real quick to hop into bed with whoever he wants to and these two really explore each other and explore the world of of their bodies and their sexuality and there's a, a an easiness about it and sort of like a in a, in a weird way, an approachability about their sex and sensuality, and I, I that's kind of sexy. Yeah, so I, I really... You know what, when they reteamed for the Accidental Tourist seven years later? Yes. Although Gina Davis was also in that movie, and she never 
I don't know. Gina Davis has never done it for me either. That's me too. Why? I'm sure she's perfectly fine, but she doesn't do it for me. She's she's somebody's type, just not just not mine. Yeah. Is it boy sexy, girl sexy, or boy girl sexy? I think it's everything sexy. I think you'd have to be made of stone not to be all worked up after that movie. Yeah. I think that movie even turned Lowenstein on. <laughs> well, Lowenstein was turned on. It made on him tap dance. He, yeah, exactly. Well, that was how he distracted himself from how <laughs> turned on he was. Or how turned on he was at the, the tiny short, at the short shorts, you know? Oh, yes. I also, I also found it really sexy, like, just... Their post-coital sweatiness, you know, yes. nakedness hanging out. The ease that they had with one another. I I love seeing that because I love seeing something that's normalized like that. Yeah. Like a couple who's really comfortable right. together. Just hanging out naked. Yeah. Smoking. Talking. About murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> we do that on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing says love. <laughs> More than smoking and talking about murder. So having just seen it last night, would you say it stands up over time? It does. It okay, really it does. 81. How how long ago is it then? This is 34 years? 35 years. Wow. Wow. I think it's very likely to be eternally sexy. I think at other times in my life, I would have thought maybe it would be dated or the fashions, but even the fashions didn't seem. No. Well, I think it's an interesting counter-distinction between her character and the way they dress her. Those skirts of hers. I was like, I gotta pull out my, my high slit pencil skirts and and my white silk blouses. Forget yes. the bras. Yeah. Well, if I forgot the bras, I'd have to tuck mine into the waistband of my <laughs> white silk blouses. Keep bragging. Those panties up, panties down. Panties down around my ankles and flung across the room. Only to be found a week later by the cleaning lady. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I, my, my response would be, what panties? <laughs> what panties? This was a fun one, Jenny. This was really fun. It was. So did uh, Linda, was Linda pro body heat? It's, it's one of his favorite movies. He's seen it a bunch of times. Oh, so he's seen yeah. it before, too. Yeah. Even though the law doesn't check out with yeah. Linda. Yeah, yes. Interesting. So, yeah, Yoko had seen it before, but hadn't in a long time. And so Yoko gave it a... Oh yes, <laughs> As beautiful. A, yeah, there's. We now have a a rating scale for Yoko. It's either a Yoko, oh yes, or a Yoko, oh no. <laughs> it's cuter when he says it. It's, that's body heat. We encourage you to go out and see it, everyone. It's a uh, not on Netflix. It's an Amazon rental. Definitely worth there's the three ninety nine. There's also a documentary on the making of it that I would like to see, but oh. didn't have time oh, to. Oh, wow. so, I did not know that. Yeah, so be sure to send us or or post your thoughts and comments on our Facebook page, Genmar Films. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Genmar Films. Please write us a review on iTunes if you are listening. What and else? And stay tuned for our next episode of cinema sex ed where we will be covering something you're gonna have to tune in to find out well actually we can tell them what our next one is going oh, to be we have we're a doing very our special oscar special right very exciting yeah so, so that'll be gonna, in a few weeks yeah we're gonna do an an oscar recap for our second annual yeah so thanks for listening and uh, we wish you all good happy healthy sex a lot of it 
And uh, no running in the halls. <laughs> and no murdering. No murdering in the halls. <laughs> no murder in the halls. Yeah, please. No arson. No murdering. Uh, yeah, this, no shanking in the boys' room. Oh, wait a minute. I, just as a tag on, we're yes. talking about the legal stuff. Just at the time that this film was made... Sodomy was still a misdemeanor in Florida. So actually, the Jew Lowenstein is wrong when he says that oral sex isn't illegal in Florida at the time. It was, but only as a misdemeanor. Oh, well. And uh, that has since been revoked. So, so you go could ahead. get a blowjob ticket. Yeah, get a blowjob, take it up the ass, enjoy go it. Go to Florida and get your tushy violated. <laughs> Breathe, use lots of lube. Why am I giving you And those? no running in the holes. And no murdering. <laughs> Rusty trombone, hot Carl, rim job, toss my salad, cinema sex ed, cinema sex ed, nipple clam, chocolate coxicle, pink taco, hop on this baby, cinema sex ed, cinema sex ed, money shot, anal intruder, Cleveland steamer, gas mask, cinema sex ed, reverse cowgirl, yeehaw, teabagging, Kama Sutra, Kama my face. Cinema Sex Ed. Who's sexier? Maddie Walker or Marcy Smolin? <laughs> Marcy Smolin. That's right.